This time, we take a look at a franchise that has redefined Hollywood, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And along the way, we ask, what does Spider-Man Far From Home mean for the future of the MCU? What are our favorite moments from the Infinity Saga? And does Rocket Raccoon really look like a Build-A-Bear? Force-fed sci-fi, assemble. Hello everyone, welcome to a special episode of Force-Fed Sci-Fi. I am the producer and editor of the show, the Marvel-less Jeremy Kesky. <laughs> I hope you have cheese whiz running through your veins, because I am with the talented and exceptional hosts. The not-bunny raccoon Shawn Michael Culp, and... I am Chris Rupp, and not Iron Man. Wow! All right, not Iron Man, Chris Rupp, and well, the cheese whiz, Jeremy. I think I speak for all of us when I say we are excited to be discussing the Marvel Cinematic Universe for a special bite-sized edition, double bite-sized edition of the Force-Fed Sci-Fi Podcast. It's it's nice to have us all on the show for once. Hell yeah, that's exciting. Get all the voices in behind the madness. Yeah, so we uh, Jeremy provided us with a real solid introduction <laughs> to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That was awesome, man. Uh, so nice job, Jeremy. Yeah, kudos, man. Um, but what do you say we do like a quick resume of the MCU before we get into the meat potatoes of everything? Yeah, let's break it down. The resume of all time. All right, so so far, including Spider-Man Far From Home, there have been 23 feature-length films. Yeah. Now we're not talking about any of the like uh, Netflix shows or any of the shows on Hulu or anything like that. We're just talking about the movies today. Yeah, and nothing like pre what 2008 Iron Man. We're not talking about like X Men or any of the stuff that's been around since early 2000s or any of that. No, and this isn't a this isn't a full depth look into each of the movies as well we would be here for well over three hours in the time we could spend talking about the series entirety you could go watch endgame that's right yeah oh my god yes that freaking movie so long yeah go watch endgame uh but we will probably along the way break down like iron man and all that once it comes along on the list of uh major sam yeah so we've had 23 feature-length films so far directed by 15 mm -hmm. different actors um, some notables, we've had the Russo brothers who've directed four films. So by far of the most, and definitely I would say have contributed the most to yeah. the MCU. Indeed they have. Uh, you've had Joss Whedon directed the first two Avengers yeah. films. That's important to mention. He's the man. He like set it in motion, like yeah. drawing everyone in with that first Avengers and everything. Yeah. James Gunn directed, uh, wrote and directed Guardians of the Galaxy volumes mm -hmm. one and two. Yeah. And his status is so big that they rehired him. Yeah. <laughs> they brought <laughs> You're him fired. back. fired. Just kidding. <laughs> they brought him back for Guardians 3. Dude, but he double dipped. Isn't he doing a DC film now, too? Yeah, he's a, smart he's, man. he's filming Suicide Squad, the reboot. And smart. then going to, back to yeah, Marvel. I don't blame him for that. That's like J.J. Abrams doing Star Trek and Star Wars. Yeah. Get that money, bro. We've had Ryan Coogler, who directed Black Panther. Coogler? Yeah, that's his name. That's a fun last name. Don't laugh at his last name. What? I can't laugh at someone's last name? 
I don't laugh at yours. What? Maybe you should. It might bring joy in your life. <laughs> what else? Uh, we've had Anna Bowden, who recently directed Captain Marvel and was actually the yeah. franchise's first female director. Rock on there. And then uh, be remiss if I didn't mention John Favreau, who directed yes. the first two Iron Man films and still plays a prominent role in the films as Happy Hogan in mm-hmm. both the Iron Man films and the new Spider-Man films. Yeah, Kudos to that, man. He's doing it on all fronts. So let's jump in this pony, right? So, yeah, I mean, just a couple of quick mm-hmm. notes here. I mean, this is really the brainchild of producer Kevin Feige. Yes. Who's been producer on all of the films, beginning back in 2008 with uh, Iron Man, starring Robert Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. The real kind of tentpole of, yeah. of the, the franchise up until... Yeah. Uh, it set it all in motion, really. Yeah. Like, no one knew what was going in when they, they just, like, took a chance. Yeah, would go on with... to appear in 10 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe films. Oh, my gosh, yes. It's uh, brilliant. In total, mm-hmm. like, the, the financials will knock you on your socks here. Um, in total, the franchise has uh, grossed... Over $22 billion. It's just nuts, man. And you want to guess the next closest franchise either of you want to guess? I don't know, Chris. What is it? <laughs> uh, Star Wars is the next closest franchise with just over $9 billion. That's nuts. But yeah. I think we're talking off air inflation because you also have to remember the prequels came out early 2000s yeah. and then the originals in the 80s and 70s, so... They weren't like, I don't know, people weren't going to films as much. It wasn't like it, like a ticket wasn't $12 back in 83. Well, not adjusting for inflation, five films from the MCU occupy five of the top 10 highest grossing films of all time. So that's all of the Avengers films and Black Panther. (sighs) It makes me depressed. That's insane. Or like buying into that Marvel stock. You know, and here was the coolest or I guess like most impressive Financial stat I saw each film averages a gross of not about nine hundred and fifty million dollars. That's insane. <laughs> like it's just nuts. In short, think of wow. That. That's nuts. That like no one can gross that much in films. Like think about it. All the films over the course of like time, and how many freaking films have done that? There's five that are the highest grossing. Yeah, some of the highest. That's just nuts, man. Mm-hmm. So before we get into the movies, um, you brought this up off air that when the Marvel Cinematic Universe started out, we didn't know it was going to become the MCU. No, we did not. They kind of like took a chance. I mean, what were your guys's, um, like provide our listeners like a story for when you saw the first Iron Man (laughs) film. Um, so when I saw it, it was like an 08 and the dark Knight had just come out. And that kind of like at that time in the two thousands, that was like the base for like all superhero films, like the format for how superhero films should be done. Because in the nineties, it was like Batman, Batman returns. And then we had like the horrible, like forever and Robin. So for a while, like superhero films weren't like they people went to them, but it didn't have as much clout until like the Christopher Nolan trilogy. Because I remember X-Men came out and people were like, "Eh, X-Men, but they weren't as successful until like Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, The Dark Knight Rises. And they were more like embedded in realism, you know? Right. I you know, you mentioned a good point. I think Christopher Nolan should be credited with at least uh, a jump in. Mm hmm the comic movies yeah uh he brought it back but then marvel took oh, it to a next level essentially totally 
Oh yeah. I think Christopher Nolan had a really good uh, origin story mm-hmm. told, and then expanded on that. Maybe even Marvel kind of took some of that and uh, just kind of made it into their into their formula. Yeah. Obviously, Marvel didn't do it as dark. No, but, no. <laughs> uh, I, I think maybe that could have c- contributed to the success of Marvel. Definitely. Oh, oh definitely. Yeah. And like the style of films, I think pre Avengers, they had more of like that darker sense to it. Like the first Iron Man, like Stark Industries was like military organization. Like you didn't know who this guy really was. He was like on both sides of the fence, Captain America, Thor. Like they didn't have the same campy superhero vibe until now. Like they definitely evolved over the course. And I think they kind of took elements of what Nolan was doing at the beginning. But then really, I think once Avengers happened, that just changed. They're like, we're going to do it this way. Whereas you can keep your realism and dark side, Mr. Nolan. And it kind of, you saw that branch with like DC becoming the darker version of like the comic book in cinema and then Marvel more the happy go lucky kids films. I remember being excited for Iron Man. Yeah. Because jumping out of your sweater. I was, I was, I was jumping on the Iron Man train early. <laughs> yeah. uh, I actually remember seeing it twice when it was in theaters. You saw it twice. That's awesome. Well, it was, um, it was a welcome shift from the Dark Knight. Yeah. Because I think uh, Iron Man came out like a couple of weeks before, or even a month before the Dark Knight came out. But it was just a, a nice shift in tone from how dark Batman Begins and the Dark Knight oh. were. <laughs> oh yeah, and it was. I don't know. It was like a reemergence and like a different type of superhero. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. for sure. They took a gamble on him, but I mean, he was coming hot off of Tropic Thunder. I he, think yeah, that was in the same year. He uh, yeah. he had a couple of uh, successes that led him being cast as Iron Man. But did you know that the studio was considering Tom Cruise as Tony Stark? <laughs> no. What? Yeah. So we- thank freaking God. Do you know how many running montages we would have of this like freaking Avengers series? He wouldn't have used the repulsors on the suit. He would have just ran everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. He would have just been running up buildings. <laughs> No, that would be horrible. Why? Oh my god! So now, yeah, DC, <laughs> yeah, more to what you guys were saying. I feel that D, like DC is definitely trying to play catch up with Marvel now. Oh, totally, they they keep trying, but I mean, it's just like it's like film after film. They just keep falling on their face. They found some fire though with Wonder Woman and I think Aquaman, Aquaman, yeah. Shazam, Shazam. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah so uh, it seems that the the DC universe is trending in the right direction. Finally, <laughs> but a lot of it remains to be seen. I think I think yeah. they're definitely heading towards, you know, a, a proper vision and goal. But we'll we'll see how Oops. the rest of the films shake out. Yeah, greener pastures, maybe. So I think we've set up enough about our thoughts heading into mm-hmm. Iron Man in the MCU. Let's start talking about some of these movies, shall we? <laughs> all right, man. So Sean, I mean, obviously we don't have time to go through all sure. twenty three films. What were some of your favorite films or moments from the MCU? Favorite films, definitely Iron Man, the first one. I loved like the raw, stripped back nature of him, like in the cave, building the suit. I loved the Jeff Bridges line. What was that? He built this in like a cave with a bucket of scraps. Yeah. Like he yells at the guy. I'm like, that is such brilliant writing. Um, What else did I enjoy? I really like Captain America, the first Avenger. Like it, it's almost like a World War II drama. And it just, like, the military scenes of him becoming a man, the doctor that made him the serum, I, like, fell in love with, Stanley Tucci. When they when he dies, it's like, ah! For me, that movie had a real Raiders of the Lost Ark vibe to it. Yes. 
It does. I like everything about that film. I love. He jumps on the grenade. I mean, it was just everything was great. The villain, Hugo Weaving, all that. That I loved it. It was very. It was also kind of like a stripped back feeling, but it made me fall in love with him and like the character of fall in love with Captain America. I fell in love with him, Chris, like Peggy Carter. <laughs> but I really like their relationship and everything that went into it. The whole Bucky. I think it really set the pace and the tone for the series. And you you mentioned too one of the Avengers films. Which which one were you talking about? For the oh the first one for 2012, mm-hmm. the Avengers. Yeah, I really like that film. Uh, it was really campy and raw and fun. Like, what was it? It was like they're all coming together to fight Loki and it, like New York City. I mean, it was like a. I think it was the perfect balance with that film was like the jokes and the action it wasn't overdone. You had like the pissing contest between the characters that was always great. Hulk being like unhinged in his relationship with Black Widow. Oh yeah, what really made that movie work to me was the fact that they didn't get along. Yeah, the, that internal conflict between the characters really helped bring out. How about you, man? What about you, Jeremy? The J Street. Well, I think uh, we could mention Guardians of the Galaxy. I think that's mm-hmm. a pretty pivotal film in the MCU because that was when... It went cosmic, essentially. It, yeah. it left uh, Earth officially. Uh, I mean, we, we got it sort of a little bit in Avengers, but not much. I mean, it's it primarily stayed on Earth. My favorite part in that film, though, I mean, we get a glimpse of Thanos in the first Avengers at the end, but it's just a quick mm-hmm. second, you know? And then in Guardians, we finally get to see Thanos. That's one of my favorite parts. Yeah. Uh, my two favorite villains and... Uh, I'll I'll get to the second one in a minute, but Thanos is definitely obviously one of them. I think probably most people will uh, will say that he's one of uh, their favorite villains in the uh, Infinity Saga. Mm-hmm. And then uh, leading into uh, Avengers: Age of Ultron. Now, my wife Heidi will probably uh, attest to this. <laughs> I quote Thanos from Guardians and uh, Ultron from Avengers Age of Ultron a ton, especially when we <laughs> <Really>? bought it. <laughs> yes, I I quote the lines even when we were like going to sleep. She would just say, shut up. <laughs> Let it go already. That's awesome. But I mean, I think James Spader did a great job as yeah. Ultron. Definitely one of my favorite movies out of the Infinity Saga. And then uh, I think we need to mention Civil War, too. I think that's an important one. Mm -hmm. Um, My favorite part might be cliche, but the very end, the fight between Iron Man, Cap, and Bucky. Yeah. Great scene. Great, great Mm -hmm. fight sequence. It was was great. And uh, so how about you, Chris? Well, I just want to piggyback real quick what you were saying about um, Ultron and Thanos. I thought for the longest time that Marvel had a huge villain problem. Like, they could not get the villains right in yeah. their movies. Um, yeah, Age of Ultron, they really, I think they got that one right. That just, yeah. that was a that was a home run right there. And, and Loki, too, in the, in the previous Avengers film. But for a long time, I just felt the villains were very lackluster. Like, Iron Man 2 especially. And don't get me wrong, Mickey Rourke is a great actor, but he did not make a no. great villain in that movie. Well, apparently, and I found this out, like, later on, he, like, was bad-mouthing the production company because he and the director did not see eye to eye. Like, he wanted to take the character totally, like, different routes, like, build more of, a, like, a backstory, have more lines. But, like, they did not agree. And 
I guess they promised him they would, but then once filming came, they like cut a bunch of scenes. So he was pretty pissed off with his portrayal because you know he like signed on to do something and it didn't turn out the way. Yeah, and Sam Rockwell was the much better secondary yes. villain. I thought that it, guy, man. I thought if they had tried to stay with Sam Rockwell as the villain and maybe put Mickey Rourke in as more of the secondary villain, maybe it would have been better, but not the other way around. Well, Sam Rockwell's character was like just, he was like the big doofus businessman that didn't know what he was like getting into. He's like, yeah, let me give you your money. Yeah, I'm in charge. But he like wasn't in charge the whole time. So his character like was almost comedic. Well, if we're going to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy as well, we have to talk about the soundtrack. Yes. That soundtrack that reinvigorated the millennials to the music of like the 80s. It was nuts, man. People are like, I love this music. It's amazing. Yeah. I, I have one thing to say though about Marvel. They are great at like their song choices. For like all the films, the opening like scenes, even with the logo, I'm like, dude, you guys are picking great music for kids that have no idea. It's awesome their choice. Some of my favorite moments I have to say or films, uh do you want to talk about the incredible Hulk? Why? <laughs> yes, why? No one likes that film. Well, I, I do. I think they like that one better than the uh 03 version. Probably, but actually, I saw, I saw a list online that said the O3 version was better than the Edward Norton. Now I haven't seen the Edward Norton because I only try to see the good Marvel films, not the uh, not so hot. Well, before you drag me around for my decision, <laughs> let me say that the Incredible Hulk movie was actually more modeled after the television show with Bill Bixby. I didn't watch the TV show. So, <laughs> well, the you? television show was more about him. Like, uh, they renamed him David Banner for whatever reason in the television show. But anyway, he was uh, more about like escaping. David Banner. Yeah. So is that David short for Bruce? No. Is that like a new thing? The character's name is Bruce Banner, but they renamed <laughs> him David for the, the original television show. Don't ask me why. I don't know. <laughs> this this argument's getting better and better. Come on, please. Do please continue. let me talk. Continue, Chris. <laughs> But wanted to bring like kind of like that chase um, aspect back to like an Incredible Hulk film. Okay. And I thought it worked okay. for that film. I wasn't sure about Edward Norton as Bruce Banner. Yeah. I thought Mark Ruffalo was much better casting for it. And I would, I'm still disappointed we didn't get a Mark Ruffalo standalone Hulk film. And it's doubtful we will at some point. Well, that's why I view Ragnarok as kind of like a dual standalone, like him and Thor's film together, because the film really is about both of those guys. Well, it, and it's also, I mean, that there's this couple of great scenes in the Incredible Hulk. There's the there's this fight with the military in like this college um, campus where he's just throwing Jeeps around. and Really? Yeah. And then okay. you get the Hulk smash line towards the end when he's fighting Abomination. Does he say Hulk smash? He does. And then this is actually the uh, introduction to... Uh, what is it, like a falcon punch? Like, come on. You don't watch a lot of Hulk, do you? No, I don't. Hulk smashes like his move from the <laughs> comics. Okay, okay. Um, and also, this is the first film we get uh, William Hurt in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as yeah. uh, General Ross, who plays... Who figures more prominently in some of the more later films like Civil War? He's in the end credits scene, right? In that? Yes, he is. Okay, so Where I Tony's... haven't seen the film, but I've seen the end credits scene of that film, even though I never see the end credits. So, yeah, I, I know that guy. Where Tony Stark walks into the bar yeah, and tells him, yeah. we're putting together a team. Yeah, <laughs> that's brilliant. 
Okay. All right. So you you like Edward Norton as the Hulk? Yeah. The film. All right. All right. Uh, I'll take that. For me, the movie that really put it over the top for me with the cinematic universe was mm-hmm. uh, Captain America: The Winter Soldier. All right. That's. I think a lot of people say that either like it's like right in that 2013, 14, 15 range is when it really took off. Yeah. It's our first film directed by the Russo brothers, uh, and also our first introduction to Anthony Mackie as the Falcon. So it like started doing more world building, introducing more interesting characters. Yeah, we're getting outside of the confines of the Avengers because the mm-hmm. one of the, the the films that came out the year prior to this was Iron Man three. Mm-hmm. Wow, that was still a, a great yeah, movie. I really like it. Really did feel with that was confined to the part of the Avengers. Yes, but in Iron Man three, we also get the great scene of the house party protocol, which is still the house party protocol, which is yeah. one of my top scenes in any Iron Man film, <laughs> the house party protocol. But winter soldier uh. felt more like a political thriller than it did like a straightforward action film. Yeah. It was almost like a spy thriller type of thing. Yeah. Bucky Barnes returns from his supposed death in the first Avenger trying to figure out what happened. And yeah. All that. And I feel like a, the captain America films more so than the other films tie together a lot of threads in the cinematic universe. Definitely. Well, his character is my favorite. I liked his films more so than any of the others. And then we get to probably my personal favorite of the MCU, Avengers Infinity War. Oh. So this was the movie that changed everything in the MCU. (laughs) Infinity Wars? Okay. Why do people say Infinity Wars? It's not wars, plural. It is one Singular it's one war. war. Yes. It's one war. Infinity war. Because wars sound way cooler, man. No, it is just war. Not wars, war. Easy fanboy. The sweat. All right, break it up, you two. <laughs> Infinity war. <laughs> what is it good for? <laughs> Nothing unless you snap your fingers. Oh, Lord, the, the snap? Uh, that wrecked Did me. Did you cry? I didn't cry. I was just like, what? my jaw was on the floor. Like, what? what? No, they're killing him. No, don't kill Black Panther. But don't do it. they're coming back. You know they're coming back. Well, I didn't. It's like, I, I, I didn't know that until after I had actually thought it through. <laughs> so you were so wrapped up in the emotion? Yeah. Well, until <laughs> until Thanos snapped his finger, you know, the movie was great up until then. I mean, the, the battle of... I almost did your uh, Al Pacino impression there. <laughs> the movie was great. It was. No, it was great up until the snap. Even the snap's cool because of the balls on that guy. Just a bam. He actually went through with the whole thing. Yeah. Which is very, like, unlike multiple movies now times where it ends sad. Yeah. Like, you know, the characters die. But Thor's, like, Thor's superhero entrance in Wakanda, yes. like, that is the, that is a, one of the all-time oh man that's gotta be the like the, one of the best superhero entrance scenes ever and and alan silvestri his work he did in infinity war and endgame and i've mentioned this before on the show it has to be two of the best film scores i have ever heard really yeah i will put it up there with any work from john williams i just think it's incredible all right the score didn't take me by uh by the seat of my pants well i have to second that chris <laughs> Thank you. Someone's on my side. <laughs> it didn't. It didn't ca- encapsulate me, Jeremy. And well, Chris. not not just those movies. Uh, the first Avengers film where we get the score. I I love the their theme essentially. The Avengers theme. Yes, that theme definitely stands out. Yeah, especially at the end of uh, Endgame. Oh man, we'll, we'll we'll get to that though. I mean, uh, and then all, and then right after Infinity War, we get Ant Man and the Wasp, which was, yes, which one is of very, my favorites. Yeah, that was a real welcome change of pace from how heavy 
Infinity War was. But oh then, my god! But then that Endgame credit, the the credits there for Ant Man and the Wasp, where everybody got snapped. I was like, come on, <laughs> we were enjoying this. Oh, that that movie, dude. That's when I was like, I love Paul Rudd. Because I already liked him, but he's just like, he's taken this universe and made like his own comedy films almost in a sense. Like I was laughing out loud on the treadmill when I was watching it. What really sold me on that film was when they kept uh, referencing Morrissey from the Smiths. Yeah. Dude. Oh my God. I rewound it like three times. I'm like, what? What? Morrissey? I guess that actually is true um, with the- His melancholy ballad. No, that's actually true that uh, Morrissey is very popular in the Mexican culture. It's it's so true. (laughs) I freaking love it, man. Dude, and it was on like the the cell phone ringtone. I'm like, what? Is that Morrissey in a- in a Marvel movie? And that's why I'm like, dude, this this MCU is amazing. Yeah, like, there's obviously so many movies that we could talk about. Those are just some of our favorite moments. I mean, Black Panther is another good one. I love the suit-up scenes in those. But they didn't. Marvel really didn't solve their villain problem until about 2016, I think, with Doctor Strange with uh, Mads Mikkelsen playing uh, Kaecilius. You liked him as the villain? Yeah. I, I Well, I'm a big Mads Mikkelsen fan anyway. Okay. I thought his portrayal of Hannibal Lecter on the show Hannibal was spot on, okay. brilliant. And then the next year we have uh, Guardians 2, Kurt Russell as Ego. Oh, I liked Kurt Russell as Ego. That was awesome. Yeah, and then we get Spider-Man Homecoming with Michael Keaton as the Vulture. Dude, so that's got to be probably one of my, it's in my top t- uh, five films because yeah. I love number one Michael Keaton. He's so great and so underrated as an actor. Check out like Birdman. It's awesome i think he got a oscar nod for it yeah it didn't win his... though it's so amazing well and then also i do like that homecoming wasn't an origin story it was like almost a story and like they kind of brushed that all aside because how many freaking spider-man films have we seen where he gets bit by the spider he figures you know we know his origin story we don't need to see it again the only problems i think i had with that film was how hot aunt may was i was like dude why is she so hot Marissa Tomei? Yeah. Hey. Yeah. And then, like, Tony Stark was getting a little creepy with his comments about her. I'm like, all right, guy. But then in Thor Ragnarok, we get uh, Kate Blanchett as Hela. Yeah. Yeah, this is when the villains are getting, like, great. Oh, my God. She was awesome in that role. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Black Panther, we get Michael B. Jordan as Killmonger. He was great, too. I've only... Now, I haven't seen all of Black Panther, but the scenes I've seen with him... I mean, I love Michael B. Jordan, too. His Creed movies that he does phenomenal infinity where we get the aforementioned thanos yes uh ant-man and the wasp there really wasn't a villain i would say in that movie no that's why the film was almost like brilliant in and yeah. of itself just going back to like what is that that he went into the quantum realm. the quantum realm it was like almost a love story for michael douglas and i freaking loved it dude well i think this is the point in the show where we can all discuss the events of endgame endgame now the movie has been out for a while now, but I do feel obligated to provide a spoiler warning from here on out because we're going to be discussing Endgame and we're going to be discussing Far From Home. So consider this your spoiler warning for here on out on the show. Now, Endgame was the culmination of all the previous 21 Marvel films that came before. This was supposed to be their plan to get the Infinity Stones back and undo all the horrible things that Thanos had done, murdered everybody and make things right again. So, what were y'all's thoughts on Endgame? Jeremy, let's start with you. What did you think of Endgame? So, actually, I 
I do think it was a great film. I really do. I want to say, though, that I actually enjoyed Infinity War a little bit better than I did than Endgame. Infinity War seemed to flow a little bit better, in my opinion. Yeah. But, of course, I mean, we have to undo the snap, so... I love the film still. Uh, my favorite part, probably the very end, obviously, when the two sides are about to do the huge battle, go yeah. against each other. And that score, as we said, uh, Alan Silvestri, uh, great, absolutely great. I got goosebumps when I heard that and I was watching it. So, Did you uh, cry when he said, when he whispered, assemble? <laughs> Didn't feel like Chris cried. <laughs> Chris may have cried. I don't he, know. He probably does. He's pretty emotional about these events. I may have cried like five times watching <laughs> the movie. <laughs> Endgame? Endgame? What? You know what? Don't judge me. It was emotional. All right. I got a little emotional with like the Howard Stark scene, you know, where he like goes back in time and the Peggy Carter because I was like, oh man, these are, those were the two standout parts of the film where I'm like, this is awesome. I will say I did get emotional when yeah. Iron Man... Oh, yeah. Died. Because there's yeah. just so much of that history with his dad. He finally gets to meet. That, I'm getting goosebumps right now. That funeral scene just tore me up. <laughs> yeah. Tears, absolutely. Absolutely. Tears How about you, down. Sean? I really liked uh, the battle and for Endgame. That was awesome. Seeing all the characters fight and do their moves. What really made them tick. Um, my favorite parts, though, of it was the focus on Thor, Captain America, and Iron Man. Where they like basically went to their own parts in time. And it was just great writing, seeing Thor see his mom. It was like they all visited a person from the past. So they like had that full circle coming in, dealing with their horrors that basically plagued them throughout the entire series. Yeah. How about that fat Thor? Oh, my God, dude. I laughed out loud. So much fat. Oh, dude, it was I, amazing. I remember seeing it, and there were so many people around me just going, oh, no. Yes. Oh, yes. I laughed. So much cheese whiz and beer just flowing <laughs> through him. Dude, that scene where he's like, tell, they're asking him to like break down the plan. He just goes on a rambling about him and his relationship. And Paul Rudd's character is like, oh, yeah, he's just eating it up. Oh, my God. I laughed so hard. Chris Hemsworth nailed it. <sighs> he did. I, you know what? Actually, really quick, I think his character has evolved the most yes. since uh, the beginning of the MCU, and he's enjoyed it, I think, and just great performances from the first Thor all the way through Endgame. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure he's down to keep on doing it as long as they want him to. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Hopefully. He went from uh, blonde eyebrows to raising eyebrows with his comedic timing. I, I hope that he remains a part of the MCU but again it all remains to be seen given that he joined the Guardians at the end of, end of Endgame um, but we'll see I mean Captain America for all intents and purposes he's has, done he's done he's retired and now Sam Wilson is the new Captain America which this can be interesting I loved that scene at the end yeah I really did feels like it belongs to someone else and he just looks at him and gives him that affirmation of well it doesn't it's like it's it's like him was like he was saying You've earned the right to be Captain America. Like it's it's not anyone else's duty to bestow it on anyone else. Like I was the first and now I choose you to do that. Yeah, I couldn't remember. I didn't know where they were going to go with that. If they were going to make Bucky the next Captain America cuz I think in the comics that happens when uh, Captain America dies, he, like Bucky takes over. So I was like, "Oh, yeah, okay. depending on what comic you're reading, at one point Bucky becomes Captain America, and then in a, another comic, Falcon actually becomes oh, Captain America. On. So they, they've both in the past become Captain America. Definitely, though, good choice on uh, theirs for making Falcon. But 
Also, I love, I didn't actually make the connections about them meeting like people from their past until you had actually brought it up. So that was awesome. But I just love their time travel adventures, just period. That was great. And they set it up because we've talked on here so many times about sci-fi films with time travel and how they muck it up. But this, they just set it straight. They're like, this is what our time travel is. It's not like Back to the Future. They made jokes about it. So They're Back like, to the Future is a bunch of BS? Exactly. It was, Die Hard 2 is... <laughs> no, just the first Die Hard. It's not a... Which I will make the argument that it's a Christmas movie, but I mean, now that, I, now that I've heard that it could be a time travel what? movie, I might have to start like looking for that, though. I know, right? I've never heard that ever. Oh, but it was great. It was cut and paste because when I was watching it and the chick kills herself, like the older version of herself, it was like, oh, she's going to disappear. Oh, wait. But they already set the timetable where whatever you do in one universe doesn't impact the other. Like you're not going to erase. I thought that was awesome execution. I will admit I got super flappy when um, Captain America was able to call Molnir. He was able to wield Thor's hammer. Dude, that was so that's probably my favorite moment in the entire like movie when he's like just kicking ass. I with wasn't it. I was legitimately not expecting it. No. 100% not expecting it. No. I actually kind of was. <laughs> yeah. Because in the comic, I'm a geek here about the MCU and that's why I'm <laughs> on this episode today. In the comics, you see Cap wield the hammer essentially. And if this was going to be his last film in the MCU, they were going to have to have that. I just kind of saw it coming a little bit. Yeah, well, he tried. I was reading arguments online where, like, the, what was it, Age of Ultron, he kind of moved it. But they're saying it's either he couldn't because he wasn't pure of heart or something, because there was something still in his past that he was lying to. And I think it was about Stark's parents getting killed by Bucky. Or it was just he was, like, massaging the ego of Thor. So then once... Either or, whichever one happened, he told the truth to Tony. That's when he was able to wield the hammer because there was nothing else in his past or any lies. He was pure of heart. Yeah, the the whole the movie it was. I think it was the perfect send off to a lot of beloved totally. characters. And I mean, it was probably it's probably some of the best action in the MCU. And I th- I actually liked this portrayal of Thanos more so than Infinity War. Really, I thought this okay. I this disagree. Thanos in Endgame was much more brutal than in the one we got in Infinity War. The one in Infinity War was just like straightforward. I'm going to do this. You can't stop me. Like, this is what's happening. And then this one in Endgame, he's so just cutthroat and brutal. He sees what the Avengers are doing and time traveling. And he thinks like, oh, well, they're doing my job for me. So I'm just going to time travel, kill them all, take the stone. And you know what? Everyone in this universe is dying. Like, don't care anymore. Yeah, he was more brutal, but I think why I liked him in Infinity War was, like, the humanistic part. Like, how he was there just to complete the mission, and it seemed more I could relate to him. Like, you almost started rooting, not rooting for him, but you understood why he did, why he was choosing to snap and separate, because he's seen that, he's been around. So for me, I kind of liked him. Yeah, I think, War, in, I think in Infinity War, the goal was to like to get the audience to sympathize yeah, with Thanos. And then Endgame, the goal was for you to hate, hate him. him totally. That way, when he turns to dust at the end, you're like, yeah, you take that. <laughs> Douche. Did you like Professor Hulk? Because I've heard, so me, it was like so-so because he was, I don't know. I didn't like him being the Hulk the entire time. It was time. mildly off-putting because he's eating pancakes the size of a manhole cover. 
and like has a five gallon bucket of like scrambled eggs that he's gonna eat. Like, right? like, do you really need that much? Maybe Hulk needs to go on a diet. <laughs> right? He's gonna become fat Hulk. And then he and then you see him like giving lunch to Ant Man after his blows away. Like, really? That's all you had for lunch was like four tacos and you're willing to part with half of them to Paul Rudd? Like <laughs> you probably need the calories more than he does because right? you you so big. <laughs> There's so much we could say about Endgame. It's a great film, but I think it's I think it's time. To- did you? Well, before we go, did you feel the length of the film? Because this is a question I always ask people. Because it was super long. I did Endgame. not feel the length of the film one iota. Because Infinity War, the pacing of it was super smooth. But for this, I know. Right, that's what I was saying. I think the pacing of Infinity War was great. While Endgame. Man, I mean, people were even posting online when was the best time to take a bathroom yeah, break. Really? Because <laughs> it's so long. So yeah, I mean, I felt that I felt the length of it, mm-hmm. and it's it's separated into parts too. You can kind of tell. Whereas Infinity War, like I said, it it flows better in my opinion. Essentially, it's like one giant story as opposed to Endgame's like almost three separate films in and of itself. More so to your point about Infinity War, Jeremy was that. Nothing felt like plotty in Infinity War. It felt like there were very scenes like you could jump in at any point in Infinity War without context of the previous scene and still enjoy what you were watching. Yeah. Like there were so many great scenes in it. Like uh, even the the fight with um, Thanos' children and Vision and Wanda, that was mm-hmm. that was pretty intense, too. And then um, the scenes uh, leading up to the battle on Titan with the, the Guardians and uh, Doctor Strange and Iron Man and Spider-Man. You could just jump in at any point in the movie and just enjoy it. Is that the film where he's like, Spider-Man's like, if eggs come out of my chest, if if I get one more pop culture reference out of you, you're out of here. All right, did you ever see this really old movie called Aliens? (laughs) Just love that kid, man. He's nailed it. You know, but that's a good segue into Spider-Man Far From Home, the newest release in the Marvel Cinematic Universe starring Tom Holland as Spider-Man. So we both saw this film last week. We all saw this film. Mm-hmm. So what are your initial thoughts and or takeaways from Spider-Man Far From Home? Thoughts and or takeaways. I think it did another awesome job just telling a story. Uh, it kind of, my problems a little bit was it with it was the linkage of the snap with the regular film because like they disappear for five years and then they just come back. And it's like nothing's really changed except for the kids being younger and older. And so the continuity, but then again, it is a comic book film. So I just kind of waved it off with the nice little joke of them like appearing in like the middle of the floor, like playing the band. But Jeremy actually brought up a good point. What if you were on a plane when Thanos snapped his hand? Like, and the snap brought you back, but there was no plane there anymore. Like, would you just fall to the ground? So I was like, that's a good question. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah, what if you're on a cruise ship, man? Did the ship go as well, or was it just the people on Well, it? like you said, I think we can chalk it up to it being a comic book movie, so. Yeah, I forgave that, um, and the coincidence that all the main characters were gone in the blip, because that's what they call it in this film, the snap was the blip. And, you know, I was like, really? All of the main characters were gone? But I was like, well, whatever, who cares? But outside of that, I thought Jake Gyllenhaal was amazing. I thought is Mysterio. He was awesome he crushed it why anybody was surprised that he turned out to be the villain was beyond me because quentin beck the slash mysterio was a villain or is a villain in spider-man's universe yeah but he played the role so well as the good guy yeah i think he did a, a decent job in my opinion 
I don't know if I think he did a great, spectacular job as Mysterio, but I, I think he did a pretty decent job. I actually think this film isn't as good as the first Spider-Man film, in my opinion. But, I mean, it's a good, fun adventure. I, I still enjoyed it, definitely. The, uh, the f- scene, I think Michael Keaton was by far the better villain. I like Jake Gyllenhaal as the nice guy because he like served that mentor figure for Spider-Man. Whereas, like Michael Keaton from the beginning, you had like that nice twist. And in this film, they also had like the twist reveal. But it was just with Homecoming, like you just had that ballsy scene where he like pulls out the gun, he goes up to the house, they're riding in the car. Like that to me for Homecoming was one of the best scenes that I've seen in a long time in, in film. Yeah, you definitely get two different villains, I think, between the two films. I mean, Michael Keaton is definitely more of a darker villain in the first one. And then we have Jake Gyllenhaal, who's Mysterio, and Mysterio's that character who is just the trickster almost. So not as dark as Michael Keaton was. Spider-Man was looking for a mentor because he lost Tony Stark. So there's Jake Gyllenhaal, Mysterio being kind to him. Obviously, he's gonna. He's he's a teenager. He's gonna want to eat that up, essentially. Yeah, because he has no father figure, so he's just gonna pounce at anyone that's like showing him any type of direction in life. Well, on the flip too, uh, Nick Fury isn't looking to be a mentor. Yeah, he just he just he's putting tons of pressure on Spider-Man to join the Avengers and lead the Avengers, but he's given no thought to what Peter Parker wants. Mm-hmm. So it's I hesitate to call him selfish. But I think Nick Fury needs the Avengers to be Nick Fury. And without Tony, he I think Nick Fury feels like there, there, there are no Avengers. So he needs Spider-Man to come and do his thing and lead the team. But while giving no thought to, hey, this is a 16-year-old kid you are, you are putting tons of pressure on to be the leader of the, internet, the, the now intergalactic superhero team. Well, it's like that scene where they pull him away to like the underground whatever in venice and they're like what do you want what do you choose and he's like i want to go to school you know i want to go on my vacation go to paris and they're like oh okay fine but then they shanghai them you know well and that's the thing too tony never put any pressure any kind of pressure on peter to join the avengers no no he wanted him to take his time finish school go live his life and then when he was ready join up if he wanted to join up whereas fury is just like you gotta join yeah the whole time like in poor Peter Parker is just like, I just want to go away. I just want to take a vacation. But no. How about whole... poor Ned? He gets tranked in the neck. So by far, Ned is like the coolest character in like the film. Like he really saves the film. Like his comedic timing is just brilliant. Him and the girlfriend, this entire film. How do you feel about uh, MJ? We finally get to flesh her out a little bit more. Because that was kind of like a reveal at the end of Homecoming. I'm glad that they finally expanded her character mm-hmm. into, I mean, not exactly who she was from the comics. Totally different. I mean, yeah, because Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, yeah, that was more of kind of a straightforward adaptation of the comics and the Mary Jane character. But this was definitely a nice twist on it. The chemistry between Zendaya and Tom Holland is palpable. That's almost like a, a wish list celebrity couple nowadays. They just, they hit it off. And that's kind of rare sometimes. I actually like their chemistry better than uh, Tony Stark and Pepper Potts. Really? I do. Because Pepper Potts and Tony throughout the series, it just felt like boss employee. It didn't feel forced, but it just didn't have like the same semblance of Peter and MJ. You know, he's just trying to woo her and get this chick to like her. But then again, 
I can resonate with that because that was like, you know, in high school, the same thing. Oh, I thought the humor was definitely an improvement in this movie from the first one. But I do feel that, and I agree with what you guys were saying, I feel like there was definitely a regression Mm -hmm. in the villains, and I hope that that's not a trend with the MCU overall, because, yeah, we've got a much more brutal Thanos in Endgame, and the Skrulls slash Jude Law and Captain Marvel, and then we get Jake Gyllenhaal. So I really hope that the series as a whole isn't trending downward in the villain portrayal. Well, it's just with the villain, it wasn't like ham-fisted. Like, the reveal was coming when he went to the bar and he gave him the glasses because the glasses in this film is like the big, I guess, lightning pole because Tony gives Peter the glasses for Edith. And that's basically gives him access to like what was Jarvis, like all the Stark systems. Yes, Edith. Even Edith. in death, or no, I'm sorry, even dead, I'm the hero, I think. Okay. But so that's basically what uh, Mysterio's going after the whole film. And he gives, but it just, I don't know, Jake Gyllenhaal's character, it's like you could almost sympathize with him because it was like all the employees that Tony like blew off. Because his whole motivation is that system in... I think it was Civil War. Civil War, like the barf. Like his whole career was built up for the system that basically ended up being like a trauma, depression thing for Tony to like work through uh, with his parents. And then he just calls it barf. Well, there were a ton of parallels between this and Iron Man. Obviously, um, you know, the soundtrack, that's a couple. Mm-hmm. That's, <laughs> yeah, Iron Man with uh, ACDC. Um, Peter is not ready to take the mantle uh, as leader yet. The glasses, obviously. And also, we get to the post credit scene where Spider-Man's identity is revealed to the world. Yeah, Jameson. Yeah, J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah, they brought back J.K. Simmons. I, Surprise! I love that they brought him back. <laughs> Well, let's quickly uh, quickly talk about where that could go in terms sure. of the future of the MCU. So there's a couple of theories I've got out there. Mm-hmm. One is that now that Peter's identity is out there, maybe that he's embraced by the general public, much like how Tony was as Iron Man. I thought about that first, but they reveal his identity, but they do it in a way where Mysterio is like, oh, Spider-Man killed me. Like, he's the one. He's the true villain after all. Uh, it was like a twist. So he did reveal his identity, but at the same token, I think society might flip on him and be like, oh, Spider-Man's the villain. I, I don't know where they're going to go with that, actually. I, I was, I'm kind of clueless on that. Same. Like, that was why, that was kind of a thing where I was split between because for the amazing Spider-Man 2, they end it with him just going off fighting a villain. So I thought that's where they were going to take it. Like, he drops MJ off. She's like, I never want to fly like that through the city again. And then, you know, some police siren goes and he just goes off to battle. But then they drop that scene. I'm like, well, now there's only one way it could really go where everyone hates him or they just write off Mysterio as like a crazy lunatic. Either way, it sets up. Or he joins the Avengers. Either way, it's a big time implication for the future of the Spider-Man films and the MCU in general. And it's a it's a nice end to Phase Three, heading into Phase Four. Yes. So before we move on to the future of the MCU, let's quickly rate Spider-Man: Far From Home. So Sean and Jeremy, on our scale of recent releases, being wouldn't watch, would watch, and would go see again in theaters. What do you give Spider-Man Far From Home? Jeremy, why don't we start with you? I don't like that we don't include the would own in that, but I know it's not out on Blu-ray or DVD yet. I am at uh, would watch if we're not going to include that, but once it comes out, I am going to buy it. Okay. I, I think I second that with you. I definitely, I think I'd buy it. I own Homecoming, and it was a great film. The Night Monkey made me roll in laughter. 
So I loved it. I agree with all of you guys. It's a wood uh, wood watch, and then once it's out on available for home media, I'm I'm buying that thing. They did a great job with the comedy and everything in this film. Great pacing. All right. So as we mentioned, this is Spider-Man: Far From Home is the end of Marvel's Phase Three of films. We're heading into Phase mm-hmm. Four now. We don't know for sure what's going to be next in the series of movies. Right now, the only film that's uh, set to be filming with an unconfirmed release date of next year is Black Widow, which is meant to serve as, like, I guess, a prequel to uh, her entry into the cinematic universe. Yeah, which I don't know how I feel about it. Because I feel like if it was going to come out, they should have done it after Ultron when they started fleshing out her character a little bit more. Whereas now it's like past... And she's older, so I mean, it could, it's probably going to work and be awesome, but would have liked to see it a little bit sooner. There are two, Disney has two release dates for Marvel films mm-hmm. next year, one in May and one in November of 2020. Now, in all likelihood, Black Widow is going to be the one that's coming out in May. Yes. Now, all signs are pointing to that, given that it's filming right now, you know, it'll, it'll be coming out soon. The next film, this is unconfirmed, we don't know for sure. It'll look like it will be The Eternals. Now, I am uneducated <laughs> in who or what The Eternals are. Same. But it looks, it sounds like it's going to be like some type of cosmic, maybe like mythology-based hero group. Some casting notes include Angelina Jolie, Kumal Nayagiani, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, uh, Richard Madden from Game of Thrones and The Bodyguard from Netflix, and... Rumor has it that Kevin Feige has uh, put Keanu Reeves on the top of his Eternals wish list or just MCU wish list, which I hope to baby Jesus <laughs> that that comes true. I like Keanu's action, but I just don't know about him as an actor, man. He's just depends on which Keanu is going to show up. Is he going to be the dry monotone Keanu or is he going to? I think they'll make it a positive experience for the audience. I hope so. Uh, but there are some other rumored films that we could be getting or uh, films that are at least in development. Wasn't there Guardians 3? Guardians 3, but I think on? the earliest we could get that would be 2021. Okay. Because James Gunn is under contractual obligation to do the Suicide Squad reboot and then he can go back wait, to. Wait, did you say reboot? Yeah, they're rebooting it. It's not a it's not a sequel to the Suicide Squad because the first one was so good. Yeah, parts of it were good, but not the whole. <laughs> there are in development currently. There is a, a Shang Chi film. Early casting rumors that uh, could be seeing Donnie Yen in the I, movie. No idea. Yeah, I uh, like I mentioned, I am uneducated slash unaware of who Shang Chi is. That's probably just my ignorance. <laughs> you uh, ignorant tool. Yeah, I Gosh, will accept Chris. that. Uh, we're also going to be getting, in all likelihood, a Black Panther sequel, Doctor Strange sequel. Uh, we already talked about what could happen with Guardians with a uh, Volume Three. There's also potential for another Ant Man and the Wasp. However, that may shake out. Obviously, we're going to be getting a Captain Marvel sequel. Definitely. Uh, another Spider Man sequel, and there's rumors of another Thor film. That'd be crazy. But Another again, Thor. with him joining the Guardians, how is that going to shake out, though? Right, because they're in, uh, where are they at? Norway? That's where they put all the people. So, I mean, where could you go with that? Yeah, I don't know if they're going to do a, another solo Thor film. I think they're just going to try to put him in the next Guardians film. And weren't you saying, Jeremy, in uh, Far From Home they teased or there was like a little hint towards a Fantastic Four? So, at the very end when uh, Spider-Man is swinging through New York, there's a sign 
think it's really quick and it's really hard to catch, but there's a sign that says something big is coming and you see a one in a circle, a two in a circle, and a three in a circle, and what comes after three? Four. So it's a possible tease at Fantastic Four coming Mm -hmm. to the MCU. Which actually solidifies my theory in regards to the MCU going more cosmic. Mm-hmm. I think this is a good point where we can talk about the actual post credit scene of Far From Home. Mm-hmm. It involves the scrolls. I guess that's kind of the humor part of the post credit scene. Uh, it wasn't really Nick Fury and Maria Hill the whole time. It was the scrolls that were acting as them. Ah. But then it, it shoots to Nick Fury. The scrolls are talking to Nick Fury over the phone or something. And Nick Fury is on a scroll ship in space and i think that's kind of a a teaser a poke at uh the mcu going cosmic so i think that's what we're gonna see probably well yeah at some point just gonna keep expanding expanding they have to introduce new characters and with captain america iron man and thor now off doing other things or retired or passed away other characters need to be introduced to this group and they got to do it soon well and i think marvel's brilliant for the past 11 years they've solidified a fan base that will go out and see a Marvel film. So if they bring out these characters that people don't really know too well, they're more likely to make a return on their investment, you know, make some money off of it, even if it's like a crazy winged bat. So I definitely agree with Jeremy where they're probably going to go cosmic. Well, yeah, there aren't too many places left to go with it, though. Do you think the multiverse thing is real? Or do you think it was all BS that Jake Gyllenhaal was just He was making it up so he could uh, get to Fury. Okay. So I don't, I don't think there is a multiverse unless uh, something happens yeah. that changes my mind. I'm going to operate under the assumption that Jake Gyllenhaal was just lying. He's, <laughs> he's a liar. Well, I, you know, I think that's a good place to wrap up yeah. this uh, double bite size edition of the Force Fed Sci-Fi Podcast. Thanks to Jeremy Kesky for joining us on the mic this time. Uh, we really appreciate his thoughts and insight and everything he does for the show. Seriously, folks, the show would not happen without him. He is the man. Thank you, Jeremy. And for the listeners, if you have any questions or if you have any thoughts or predictions, please write in, email us, hit up our website. We're all over. Yes, please uh, visit forcefedsci-fi.com. We definitely would love to get uh, more visitors. Please comment on our social media. I know Chris will be uh, saying his usual ending here that pretty much says what I just said. But in any case, uh, we appreciate the audience and uh, yeah. No, I won't go into all that. I think the guys did a pretty good job at uh, (laughs) summarizing my spiel. All I will add, though, is uh, please uh, check out and download episodes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you find podcasts. And go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. So for all of us at the ForceFit Sci-Fi team, we'll see you next time. Force-fed sci-fi is written and hosted by Sean Culp and Chris Rupp. Website design, associate producer, and editing by Jeremy Kesky. Artwork designed by Mike Berger. Theme music composed and performed by Custom Anthem.